the Sermons Podcast for Ottawa Baptist Church. We pray that you will be blessed and encouraged by this week's message. In the creation narrative, God created male and female, and they were joined as one. He also created a habitation for them to dwell in and gave them sustenance for the physical bodies. We read in uh, Genesis, the early chapters, that The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden was the tree of life. So God creates this capacity within human beings for fellowship first and foremost with himself and then the capacity of fellowship with other human beings. He also gives them this capacity to consume food giving them physical sustenance. Now, when we look at the creation narrative, both of these elements are extremely important for humanity. We have the spiritual and relational nourishment that comes from relationship with God and proper relationship with other human beings. And of course, we have the nourishment that comes from food. In the Old Testament, God is leading his people through the wilderness And before they arrive in the promised land, he instructs them to observe these different feasts throughout uh, their year. The feast of Passover and first fruits and unleavened bread, feast of weeks, trumpets, Yom Kippur, and tabernacles. Now, each of these feasts held a significant meaning for the nation of Israel, the people of God. And so depending on the feast, There were different elements that were involved and there were things that they were to reflect upon that God had done for them in the past. During these times, they were to find encouragement and strength in God. They were to remember him. But one of the important things is that when they were to honor and observe these feasts, they didn't do it in isolation. They came together as a corporate body to celebrate, remember, and feast. And again, they gathered for fellowship and celebration. In Jewish thought, there was also the understanding that when God would physically return to restore his kingdom upon the earth, this time would be marked by a feast or a banquet. There would be large amounts of food, the wine would be overflowing. It would be a time marked by considerable rejoicing. In Isaiah 25, we read about this time in the end where God moves and lives among his people. The prophet writes, On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast of rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats, and the finest of wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the shroud that enfolds all peoples, the sheet that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away the tears from all faces. So again, we have the creation account. We have the feasts of Israel. And we have this understanding that at the very end of time, a great feast will take place. And it will be prepared by God himself for his people. What I want to do now is jump to the very end of Scripture, the book of Revelation. And let's ask ourselves, is there anything there that can speak to us about this particular topic? 
As we look in Revelation 19, John writes, Then I heard again what sounded like a shout of a vast crowd, or the roar of mighty ocean waves, or the crash of loud thunder. Praise the Lord, for the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice, and let us give honor to Him. For the time has come for the wedding feast of the Lamb, and His bride has prepared herself. She has been given the finest of pure white linen to wear, for the fine linen represents the good deeds of God's holy people. And the angel said to me, write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the wedding feast of the Lamb. And he added, these are the true words that come from God. If we go back into the Gospels that record the life of Jesus, we see that Jesus had several interactions at banquets as many people invited Jesus into their homes. In Luke 14, Jesus is invited into the home of a Pharisee. And it's at the table that Jesus begins to discuss things like the Sabbath and how we are to treat people with dignity and respect. How we're not supposed to give preferential treatment based on someone's social status. And in giving this talk around the table, one of the men speaks up and says, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. This is an allusion to what we spoke about earlier that is presented in Jewish thought, that at the time of the coming of God's kingdom, there will be this great feast. And it's in this setting that Jesus takes the opportunity to tell them this parable. A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I have just bought a field, and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there's still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who are invited will get a taste of my banquet. We clearly see in Jesus' words that those who were initially invited to the banquet didn't come. They were preoccupied with the cares of this life. And so they declined the invitation. So the person throwing the banquet sends out his servants to bring in who? To bring in the poor the blind, the lame, the outcast. And when the servant has done that, there was still room at the table. And so the instruction given to the servant was, go out into the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in. The banquet is ready. Think of the final banquet scene at this parable. It's not just the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, but it's everyone who was traveling the country roads. Everyone who was out and about at that time who responded to the invitation. 
Now, when it's all said and done, I want you to picture that banquet. What does that banquet look like? If you go back to the book of Revelation, we see that there are multitudes that are gathered at the banquet or the marriage supper of the Lamb. What do the multitudes in that setting look like? Who's around the table? In Revelation, there are a few passages that really drive home the diversity that exists in God's kingdom. And John gives us a glimpse of the throne room of God and a group that erupts in resounding song. And this is found in Revelation chapter 5. And they sang a new song saying, You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And with your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God. And they will reign on the earth. Earlier in Revelation, John sees another multitude. And this multitude is a group of believers who have been martyred for their faith. Let's take a look at who makes up this multitude in Revelation 7. After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Who are the ones attending this marriage supper of the Lamb in Revelation 19? Who are these multitudes that John is writing about in Revelation 5 and 7? He's writing about believers in Christ or the church. While there are many things that we can learn from these passages, the main thing I want to bring to light is this. The deep bond that exists between Christ followers. Their love for Christ results in deep bonds with one another. What's interesting to note is that the marriage supper of the Lamb isn't this private dinner between a single Christian and Christ himself. This dinner is corporate. Christ is joined with his body, with his church. What also struck me as I was going through these passages is observing what is actually taken into eternity. In the scriptures we looked at, we see that there is every nation, tribe, language, and people present in heaven. And we asked the question, how would John know that multiple people groups, ethnicities, were present around the throne room of God? I believe this means that the unique ways in which God created us will actually carry over into eternity. Although these bodies that we do have at present will indeed be glorified, as the scripture tells us. So again, what carries over into eternity? A certain individual uniqueness, perhaps displayed through ethnicity, carries on, but also our love and worship for Christ. Those two main things are seen in Revelation. And that's it. What doesn't carry on into eternity? Denominations, social status, degrees of wealth, education, 
qualifications, dare I say, political leanings and vaccination status, none of those things carry on into eternity. So if we are people who live in this temporary state, knowing that eternity waits for us where only certain things will carry on, we have to ask the question, what should we place more value on in the here and now, in the present? You know, the church is designed to be a microcosm of the coming kingdom. What that means is that we, although we are not perfect, we are to give an example of what the kingdom of God looks like. It's a glimpse into what it really is as we live a new way of life here upon the earth. In the early years of Christianity, the people living in the Roman Empire could not comprehend the love and unity that existed among the Christ followers. They lived in a way which was much of the confirmation of Christ's words in John 13, where Jesus says, A new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. Go back to the image that's presented by Jesus in his parable, found in Luke 14. Those who walk in the door are identified as the poor, the lame, the crippled, and those who are out on the highways and streets who receive this invitation to show up. We're probably going to see or envision a mix of masters and slaves and the wealthy and Jew and Samaritan. You know, as they walk in, they walk in with all of their differences present. But when they sit down at the table, they become privileged guests. And as they sit at that banquet scene, what they have in common at the feast is greater than the differences that they walked in with. In Luke 22, Jesus has gathered his disciples together at Passover, another feast that is mentioned and observed in Israel's history. And it is in this setting where Jesus has this special meal with them, and it's referred to as the final supper or the Last Supper. Now, think of what we've already mentioned. The final picture that's presented in Scripture. This incredible feast, a banquet with God Himself. And at this Last Supper, Jesus, God in the flesh, is at the table with His disciples and they surround Him. And He tells them, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. And then again, Jesus takes the cup. And after giving thanks, he says, take this and divide it among you. You see, Christ is taking elements that are representative of his body and his blood. And he breaks these elements and he gives them to his followers, his disciples to consume. There is literal physical sustenance in the food that Jesus is giving them. But there is also this spiritual sustenance that comes from his presence being there. When I think of the story, it sounds a lot like Genesis. God in the garden is giving literal food, but his presence as nourishment to humanity. And now Jesus, God in the flesh, surrounded by his disciples, gives them his presence and literal food for nourishment. 
If we look at Luke 22, there were a couple of verses that I left out that I'm going to insert right now. In verse 16, Jesus tells them, I will not eat again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. And in verse 18, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. There's the allusion to that final banquet that we talked about in Revelation. The Last Supper ritual is so powerful that it marked the disciples' lives and the lives of those in the early church. They would continue this meal for decades and generations and even until the present day. So even right now, as modern believers, we possess a, an, an appreciation for the meal, although it looks a little bit different. So it's traveled through the generations and it's demonstrating that it's that important. So what are some of the thoughts that are tied to this special meal? We have remembrance, remembering the work of Christ. We have the proclamation of Christ's death and all that's associated with it. We have this hope of the future, this future supper that was mentioned in the book of Revelation. I also see this meal as a time where God's people are walking in with different job titles and social standings, different backgrounds and stories, different educational achievements and political preferences, and they come together and sit down to be unified on what we all carry into eternity, our worship and adoration of the Savior. Communion gives us this incredible picture of how things will be in the end and what things will ultimately remain forever. So the body of Christ comes together regularly at the table and we are reminded of the future banquet and we proclaim Christ, the one who unites us as one church. Today, I want to end our time together with a statement made by theologian Russell Moore. And he writes this, Moments of fellowship are important, part of the hospitality the Bible calls us to, but they can't replace the supper Jesus has given to us. In the supper, we confess ourselves to be sinners together, and we proclaim together the gospel that restores us to right fellowship with God and with one another. We experience Jesus in our midst, serving us the kind of meal that connects us with the upper room in Jerusalem past and with the marriage feast of the new Jerusalem future. As we serve the table of Christ's communion, each week we are calling the church to a different kind of community, the kind of community that cannot be dissolved by petty conflict or disagreement. As we eat together around the table of Christ, we're called to a recognition that we are at the table of a kingdom. And we are called there to recognize the presence of the king, not so much in the elements themselves or in our individual spiritual reflection, but in the body he has called together a body of sinners like us. Only then will we really get what the scriptures mean when they call us to fellowship. At this time, Let us take everything that we've learned and let us now share the table together as one church.
Thanks for checking out our sermons podcast today. For more information on Ottawa Baptist Church, please visit our website at www.ottawabaptist.com.